0: This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. This week, an in-depth look at the leading cause of death for Americans age 18 to 49, more than car accidents or suicides.
1: It's everywhere. Sentinel is no
0: joke. We are not exaggerating. Nearly 108,000 Americans lost their lives to overdoses last year. Two-thirds of those from fentanyl. We'll talk with the federal government's top expert on drug use and addiction.
1: We need to also focus on this specific age group, 18 to 24, that has not been the focus of prevention efforts other than for alcohol. Stick around.
0: This special edition of InfoTrack gets underway in a moment. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. On average, one person dies of a fentanyl overdose in the United States every seven minutes. And in just the past three years, the number of Americans killed by the drug jumped 94%. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here for an in-depth discussion with the federal government's top expert on drug use and addiction. Roy?
2: Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Nora Volkov, M.D., Director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Volkov, can you outline just how serious the fentanyl epidemic is today?
1: Well, it has been devastating. That's the way that I would describe it. And just in terms of numbers, we had more than 108,000 people dying from an overdose, 70% of those from fentanyl on 2021. This is the highest number ever, ever recorded, nothing close to it. And the other issue that is very worrisome is that you see that increases in overdose deaths are very, very steep. So we have been unable to control it, but the rise is very, very problematic and concerning. And it's also extraordinarily diverse. When we first started to notice the overdose deaths from opioids, basically close to two decades ago, it was predominantly on white Americans in rural areas, And then that changed around 2011 with heroin. And then in 2015, we started to see the emergence of fentanyl, which is this synthetic opioid that is extraordinarily powerful. So it's very addictive. It has very high risk for overdose and death. And it's also very cheap to manufacture. So you put all of these things together and you start to realize why it has got such a devastating effect. And the other issue that complicates the situation is that the dealers, of course, are trying to maximize their profit. So what do they do? They realize that fentanyl, which is cheap to manufacture and powerful, can be used to actually mix with drugs that are much harder to produce because you have to cultivate like cocaine or heroin or even some of the synthetic drugs like methamphetamine. So basically, they can dilute the drug by adding a little bit of fentanyl. And the problem is that people that are seeking cocaine or methamphetamine don't realize that drugs they are taking contain fentanyl. They have no tolerance, as is the case from someone that is repeatedly taking heroin, for example. And so they are extraordinarily high risk of overdosing if they do get a batch of drug that is contaminated with fentanyl. And the most recent issue that is sort of making the issue so complex is that we are seeing that the dealers are bringing the fentanyl into illicitly manufactured pills that look like other pills, like stimulant medications like Adderall that you use for ADHD or or medications that you use for pain like Vicodin, Oxycontin, or to help you sleep. And people that are occasional users that may buy these drugs in the web may end up with a product that contains Fentanyl, and that actually again increases the risk of overdoses. And we're seeing this manifested, for example, in groups that in the past we had not seen overdoses from fentanyl, like teenagers. For the first time, uh, we have basically seen a, more than a doubling in overdose deaths from fentanyl that are likely driven by these illicitly manufactured prescription pills that teenagers are buying or getting them from friends and unbeknownst to them they contain fentanyl so this is what makes the situation so urgently tragic and devastating and complex in the terms of how we address it
2: you kind of touched on these different forms of drugs that are coming out now i understand there are some in rainbow colors that are apparently targeted to children how serious is that
1: This is what the media has been describing, that basically by putting all sorts of colors in these pills, they make it more appealing, perhaps, to a younger audience. I do not know if that is exactly the intention of the dealers, as opposed to trying to identify themselves as distinct from other markets and make a product that actually becomes appealing for users. It's like branding yourself. So I do not know if in principle they were targeting younger people or adolescents, for example, or not. And I guess that whichever way, it is very worrisome that diversity of products that are now containing fentanyl and the way that they are basically permeating all of the United States, urban areas, rural areas, suburban areas, and all demographics are affected the ones that where we have the highest rates of deaths are between people that are twenty-four to forty-four and then forty-four to fifty-four. But now we are, as I mentioned, seeing that the older people are also affected. And again, older people that may be seeking out a medication that their doctor doesn't provide them. They may want a pain medication and they buy it illegally may end up with a fentanyl pill and overdose. And the same thing, what I was commenting just before, teenagers for the first time dying from overdoses, when we clearly know that teenagers do not seek out fentanyl or heroin, but they do seek out prescription pills. And so this is where we are seeing that diversity of products Our guest
2: on InfoTrack is Nora Volkov, M.D., director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. Earlier in the opioid epidemic, there clearly were some regions of the country that were hit harder than others. Is that no longer the case now with fentanyl? Is it so widespread that it's virtually everywhere?
1: It is everywhere. I mean, absolutely everywhere. And I think, though, the areas that were hit the worst at the beginning of the epidemic, which was the Appalachian region. And we have West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio. All of those continue to be among the states with the highest rates of overdose deaths. New Mexico also showed very high rates of overdose deaths from the beginning of the epidemic and continues to do so. But now we have states that did not have, for example, that high rates of overdose mortality from opioids, like some of the states on the West Coast. And that has changed. And that includes basically also Alaska, where, in fact, we've seen a very dramatic rise in overdose deaths in that particular state that used to have very low levels of overdose deaths from fentanyl. And that reflects the fact that now the illicit markets are permeating across America. There
2: are anecdotal stories that police officers or others who unknowingly brush against fentanyl can suddenly overdose from it. Is that largely a myth or is that a real danger?
1: The belief in terms of what we know about the pharmacology and the absorption that is necessary to produce an overdose indicates that it's unlikely to be the case. If you inhale accidentally by, if you're in a place where there are particles of fentanyl and you inhale it or have a high dose contact, then I guess it could be potentially possible. But the overall consensus is unlikely that touching it just incidentally will produce an overdose. Regardless, I think that the aspect that also we need to consider is why then it becomes so incredibly important to have access to the life-saving drug, naloxone, Narcane. If you start to actually lose consciousness and you think it is from an opioid, you can give naloxone and you won't produce any harm. But if the person is really overdosing, you will revert it very, very fast.
2: Is there anything from your viewpoint that can be done better in terms of educating the public about the dangers of fentanyl?
1: Yeah, I do think, and I am glad that they're doing this radio interview, that we need to have the media basically convey in a way that is objective, without exaggerations, why fentanyl is such a dangerous drug, and why also, if you're taking drugs, even if you are not taking opioids, it's a much riskier proposition than it was before because the likelihood of getting a drug that's contaminated is much higher. So the messaging that we need to ask to all the listeners is that, yes, fentanyl is no joke. We are not exaggerating. And also that there is a big incentive for dealers to actually use it to get greater profits by mixing it in other drugs. And I think that the third message that I would like to send is that Perhaps the most important thing that someone that is struggling with opiates can do right now is engage in treatment. And there are very good medications that prevent you from feeling craving, withdrawal, and that also prevent you from overdosing. So accessing those medications, accessing treatment is really crucial. And if you're not ready for treatment, as is the case for some people that they don't feel ready, then follow guidelines that minimize the likelihood that you will have a negative outcome. Because the reality is you do not know what you are administering when you buy drugs these days.
0: Next, we explore the government's solutions to the fentanyl epidemic, plus the drug's surprising impact on women, as this special edition of InfoTrack continues. There's more InfoTrack straight ahead. Welcome back to InfoTrack and our host, Chris Whitting. Now, we continue our special look at the devastating impact of the fentanyl epidemic. Once again, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy?
2: Thanks again, Chris. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Nora Volkov, Director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. Doctor, I think many Americans hear about the more than 100,000 overdose deaths last year and are just bewildered at why there hasn't been a much larger effort to stop the flow of fentanyl into the country. What is the solution to get this under control?
1: Well, the solution is not a solution. One solution, I think it is a multi-pronged approach that addresses, on the one hand, the access to these drugs. How do you curtail the entry of these drugs into our country? And the other one, very importantly, what is the education and what are the prevention and therapeutic interventions that we give in order to protect people from dying from overdoses? So those are two. Then you have to do both. There's no ways around it that one is sufficient. If you do not regulate and control the access of fentanyl, it's not going to go away by itself because there's tremendous profits to be made on it. It's actually very flexible markets that take advantage of the internet to actually also facilitate distribution. The volumes that are necessary to produce very intense doses are very small, so it makes it easier to transport through the border. I think that what the administration currently is doing is negotiating with countries like China that, for example, produce the substances that are the precursors, which are chemicals that are necessary in order to synthesize fentanyl to control it, so that it becomes much harder for the dealers to produce these products. And the same thing with Mexico. And now it is believed that a very significant portion of the illicit fentanyl is coming from Mexico. So getting into agreements that control those precursors will be very extraordinarily important and valuable. As it relates to prevention and treatment, certainly we need to educate the public. Number one, we need to expand the infrastructure that is able to provide for treatment of individuals that have an opioid use disorder. As I mentioned, we have very effective medications, but only approximately 20% of those that need them get. So that's a huge gap. Also, we need to expand on treatments of other substance use disorders, not just opioids, because people that are taking cocaine or methamphetamine regularly are at very high risk of overdosing from fentanyl combined with methamphetamine and cocaine. And finally, prevention efforts. I think that target people of all ages, but certainly young people, adolescents and 18 to 24 years old where they may be not have a substance use disorder, but they are using either occasionally or more regularly and buying these drugs that they use, whatever they are, from the web and therefore putting themselves at risk to purchasing or getting from a friend an illicit pill that contains fentanyl. So we need prevention. And in our country, unfortunately, we have not put the resources and effort that are necessary to do prevention interventions for which there is evidence of effectiveness. And so we need to actually both strengthen treatment and really expand prevention efforts.
2: On this special edition of InfoTrack, we're examining the leading cause of death of Americans 18 to 49, that is the fentanyl epidemic, with Dr. Nora Volkov, Director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. I understand there are some particular issues relating to women and fentanyl.
1: Yes, indeed. And in general, what we have seen is the overdose deaths are actually lower in women than men, approximately 40% those that we see in men. However, women have unique challenges as it relates to their treatment, prevention, and consequences. For example, something that is very worrisome is we have seen a threefold rise in the number of overdose deaths that are happening in pregnant women. And this is notable, obviously, because what it does tell us is the need to tailor interventions that are targeting this very vulnerable group of individuals. And they are vulnerable not just because of the fact that they are pregnant, but importantly too, because there are states that stigmatize horrifically women that are pregnant that take drugs. And that may mean that basically they may end up in jail. Or it may mean that their children are taken from there and sent to child custody. So as a result of that, you may imagine that women that are battling with drugs are not going to seek treatment because of fear of what may happen to them and their future children. So this is, again, an aspect that deserves attention. We also need to recognize that women that are pregnant, from the physiology perspective, may have unique changes to their body that may make them actually more sensitive to the respiratory depressing effects of opioids. And so all of these issues need to be placed into consideration, starting from obstetricians and other clinicians that are interacting with these women that they screen for the presence of substance use disorder in a way that is not stigmatizing and also not punitive, but instead... Offer an intervention that can help that woman and can also help that future baby that's going to be born.
2: Can you offer any final words of advice for parents of 18 to 24 year olds? Because you mentioned those ages are especially at risk.
1: Yeah, and I think that we see that adolescents are at very high risk because their brain is developing a lot, and they're sort of as a result of that, they actually also are much more likely to experiment with risky behaviors. But the transition from adolescence to adulthood is also associated with major changes, not just in your brain, but also socially. You are brought up from your home and family environment into a different environment, and you need to navigate all of those social structures. And one of the ways that young people help interact with one another is through drugs, and whether it is alcohol or something else, that is a very common behavior, and we know that it could have very negative consequences. We know of people that actually have overdosed from alcohol because they consume so much. Now the situation is much more serious and dangerous, and we need to engage not just the educational systems, the colleges themselves, but also importantly, the healthcare to systematically screen for the misuse of these substances so that there can be an intervention done in place. And physicians or other clinicians need to be trained on how to do it and also recognize, be made aware about why this is so important to do. So the bottom line is that we need to engage both the healthcare system for treatment and prevention to a greater extent that they're happy. And we need to also focus on this specific age group, 18 to 24 that has not been the focus of prior work on prevention efforts other than for alcohol. Because right now, we're seeing an, as the period in our life, on the life of an individual where there's the greatest risk of transitioning into opioid use, whether it is through heroin or whether it is through fentanyl. It's a period of very high risk.
2: Dr. Nora Volkoff, Director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for your interest.
2: And for
0: InfoTrack,
2: I'm Roy Mackey.
0: You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.